Welcome to Ozarks Hates and Hooch. This ain't no fancy, academic, check your references kind of deal. We are two sisters from the Ozarks, sipping and spewing about Hanks, Hooch, and history. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ozarks Hanks and Hooch. This is Dawn. I'm here with Dina. Say hi, Dina. Hello. <laughs> And uh, we, uh, I, I'm, I'm the introducer, and so that means Dina has the big story. And um, before we do that, let me tell you all the things. Um, we have a social media account, uh, Facebook and Instagram. We've got a website, ozarkshaintsandhooch.weebly.com. Um, sorry for cats, dogs, um, my peeping Tom asshole neighbor is was out um weed eating for or not weed eating uh leaf blowing for freaking hours this morning so hopefully that won't start up again um wherever you listen to us and you can listen to us I think everywhere that you can get a podcast <laughs> please subscribe yeah, we're there. I don't even know how we get there. Sometimes I just get notices that go, you're on. <laughs> okay. Um, so subscribe to those and give us uh, stars, rate us high, because that puts us up higher um, in search engines. Um, we release on the 1st and the 15th of each month, we hope. Um, we have a Patreon. We're really needing patrons, please, because this costs us money. Um, Dana, are there any shout outs to people? Have we, have you read anything lately? I've not read anything lately, but okay. I have not been on anything this week. So we'll get on it people Sorry. and talk to us. Sorry. No, yeah. actually I did see some, um, I did see some comments about the drink. Um, people thought it looked good and I'm going to talk about it in a minute. It is pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, let's just go to that. Uh, okay. here I am. Oh, I'm not. Sorry. Okay, here I am. So this drink is called One in the Eye, and you'll know why when Dina does her story. Yeah. So um, it's pretty good. You use a quarter of a lemon, a tablespoon of dark rum, five fluid ounces of lemonade, a half a lime, and a tablespoon of limoncello, which I love. Um, so you squeeze the lime and lemon juice into a glass and then put in the limoncello and rum and stir it, add some ice cubes, then add the lemonade. Then it says garnish with a strawberry, although I didn't have one. So no, yeah, it's good. Me. It's fruity. You know, I, it's yeah. me. You know how I feel. I about like fruit. it. Um, I like it. I, of course. So um, I am that weird week between jobs where um I've been trying to get my house together. Like I've been trying to change my daycare room into a actual room and get rid of a bunch of daycare stuff. So um, I've done a lot of physical labor this entire week. Um, so I haven't been anywhere really. So I had to go to my little Forsyth Country Mart and they don't have limoncello or if they do, they were hiding it somewhere that <laughs> not in the, in the liquor section so i had to make mine with vodka and lemon juice and simple syrup yeah that's i got so i'll tell a quick story so the way to make limoncello which is an italian 
cordial. Um, you microplane lemons and then you soak that in like 100 proof grain alcohol for X number of weeks. And then eventually you strain it and add sugar syrup and whatever. So for some reason, we were all doing that, my circle of friends. So I made it just according to the instructions. <laughs> and my neighbor is a chemist. So one night he calls and I go over there and his whole, like he had like 10 different jars of like different ratios of lemon to whatever. I mean, he was so scientific about it. So finally it's time, you know, to strain it and add the sugar syrup. And then I think it has to set some more anyway. So we went, we all went to this dinner party and one of our other friends is Italian. And so we made him taste test. So it's like my limoncello by the recipe and all of my neighbors like scientific experiments. And it's funny because um, Paolo picked mine as the most authentic. Oh, <laughs> oh poor guy. Science poor has guy. nothing to do with it. No, it's from the heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's love. So my poor neighbor, he just looked like someone had like strangled his dog or something. You know? oh. So anyway, it's really easy to make. Maybe if I think of it and I can find that recipe when I do the website, I'll put the I'll put the limoncello recipe because it's uh, really yeah. good. And it's really it's one of my favorite yummy summer things. So anyway, yeah, it's good. There you have it. Um, that was a good one. So I'll just mention before you start the story, Dina. So I'm headed to Missouri here. I mean, Dina knows that I'm telling you people. So I'm headed uh -huh. to Missouri and I'm going to be there for probably way too long. I hope I don't murder someone in my family. Um, but I'm going to kick one of the boys out of their bedrooms and you can <laughs> just stay there. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll murder one of them. Um so anyway, I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff to do. I've got some festivals and um, uh, uh, performances and stuff, but we're hoping, we're not promising anything, but we're hoping that the next episode is going to be me and Dina visiting some places. Yeah. And you may get a couple of those episodes, perhaps. Yep. So um, yeah, just something a little bit different and some fun stuff for us to do. So anyway. Yeah. I guess that's all I got. Dina, you ready? I am ready. I am. Do okay, it. so this episode, uh, I'm going to tell you the story of a murderous young man that was born in Joplin, Missouri. And it's a little bit different because his crimes weren't committed in the Ozarks, but he was a product of the Ozarks. Oh, Life boy, Magazine even did a story on him. So Who did? Sorry. Life, Life Magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So William Cockeyed Cook hence the name of the drink, was born in 1928 in Joplin, Missouri to William and Laura Cook. The couple had, get this, between them, 11 children. 11. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And Billy was the second youngest. So his early life was not very good. It was not great at all, as a matter of fact. Uh, it was very brutal. Laura Cook, his mother, died in unexpectedly of a cerebral hemorrhage in 1933 when Billy was almost five. And I will also say, between all these stories, um, some say he was born in 1928. Some said he was born in 1929. I mean, there's some discrepancies in timeline. So if I, mm. um, what's the word I want? 
if I give I you different years, ages, and all of that, I'm trying my best, but the internet sometimes doesn't tell me the truth. Really? Anyway. The internet? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so his father abandoned him and his 10 siblings. Some of those stories say seven siblings, but then that's not 11. So I don't know. Maybe some of them were older and had already moved out. But anyway, his father abandoned him and his 10 siblings in an old mine, which they had been using at their, as their home. And it said that it is said that they were living like animals. Welfare workers placed Cook's siblings in foster homes, but William was repeatedly rejected due to a congenital deformity, which prevented his right eye from closing completely. He became a ward of the state before his 10th birthday, and he had a nasty temper made worse by the teasing and bullying he endured, endured due to the deformed eye, hence the name cockeyed. The deformity unnerved prospective foster parents, and Cook found placement only when the court agreed to pay his room and board. Unfortunately, Cook's appointed foster mother was more interested in earning money from the boy than raising him correctly. So for two years, um, he wasn't, so like his backstory, he was just not given a chance, right? He just didn't, which I know some people I'm not saying that is the reason why he turned out so poorly. It certainly did not help because I know some people come from horrible backgrounds and make something of themselves. This was not the case for him. Two years running, Cook was given bicycles for Christmas and they were immediately repossessed for lack of payment. As he entered adolescence, he began to run the streets at nights and practice petty theft Upon his first arrest, he told the court he would prefer reform school to his foster home. Released a few months later, Cook immediately robbed a cab driver of $11, and that earned him a five-year stretch in the reformatory. Violent outbursts there resulted in a transfer to state prison, where he earned a reputation as a brawler. Once, Cook nearly killed a man with a baseball bat, um, because he had made a joke about his droopy eyelid. Mm. So, side note, that state prison that he was in, can you guess where that was? <gasps> it was the Missouri State Penitentiary. Huh. So How do we know about that? Hmm. Yes. Mm. Just last about episode. Yeah. yeah. So he was finally released in 1950 at the age of 22. And once again, discrepancy on Cook's age, some say 21, some say 22. Uh, he stopped in Joplin long enough for a reunion with his drunken father. Uh, he moved west from there with the expressed intent to live by the gun and roam. And that was a big thing. Like that was in parentheses in the Life uh, magazine article. And it should be noted that his father was afraid of him, but he refused to turn him in. Hmm. Billy picked up, the gu picked up a gun, um, a 32 pistol in El Paso, Texas, traveling as far as California before he doubled back. He kind of just wandered aimlessly across the country. And he had the words hard luck tattooed across the fingers of his left hand. And this kind of foretold the fate of hapless strangers who would cross his path later. Um, the following comes from Bill Caldwell and the Joplin Gold, sorry, Joplin Globe, and it was written in um, July 16th of 2021. Billy drifted west to California, where he worked in Blythe as a dishwasher in the fall of 1950. However, he headed back to Joplin as Christmas neared. On December 30th, he hitched a ride from 
uh, Mr. Lee Archer near Lubbock, Texas. He pulled a gun on Archer and put him in the car's trunk. Archer was able to use a tire iron to force the latch and rolled from the moving car. He drove, Cook drove about 350 miles to Luther, Oklahoma, where the car threw a rod. He abandoned it and hitched a ride with an Illinois car headed west. The Illinois car was owned by Carl Moser, and he was 33 years old. He was from Atwood, Illinois. His wife, Thelma, 29, and their three children, Ronald, seven, Gary, five, and Pamela Sue were three. They were on their way to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to see Carl's twin brother. For the next four days, Billy took over the Mosser car, forcing Carl to drive a circuitous route from Tulsa to Wichita Falls, Texas, then to Carlsbad, New Mexico, to Houston, Texas, then to Winthrop, Arkansas, before heading north through Oklahoma to Joplin. Twice, Carl Mosser tried jumping Billy when they stopped for gas, once in Wichita Falls and an elderly attendant saw their scuffle and ordered them out of his station before Billy overcame Carl. Later, the attendant did identify Billy. By the time they reached Joplin, he had tied up Thelma and the children in the back seat while he made Carl drive. In Joplin, Cook, Cook was, I'm sorry, there's Cook and Spooked right there by each other, and I kind of <laughs> put them together. In Joplin, Cook was spooked by a police car that drove by them twice but didn't stop them. Then Billy directed them to the Smelter Hill area. Billy shot the family multiple times as well as their dog, dumping them into an abandoned mine shaft. He drove the car back to Tulsa where he abandoned it. So right there, I have no more um, feel sorry for him. Uh, he shot right. a three-year-old girl, a seven, five, yeah. and three-year-old children and a dog which the dog almost does it more than the kids, honestly, I know. because that kills me. E. That's um, why I can never, this is a totally a tangent, but I can never watch that Will Smith book. No, not Will Smith, Denzel, Book of Wash. Oh my God, Book of Eli. You know that movie? Mm-hmm. There's a dog do you remember? There? No, it's, it's a cat right at the beginning. Oh, yes, I do. Oh and my yes, God. Yes, I do. I can't, re- I I can't remember watch it thinking- again. Oh my God, is he going to eat that cat? <laughs> and he did. Oh, way uh, to spoil yes. it, Dina. Oh, so, come on. That movie came out 15 years ago. If you haven't seen I it know. now, come on. And I think my kid was with me and he was like, he killed the cat? I mean, in the movie theater. He killed the cat. Yes. <laughs> like, he did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. So the car was found January 3rd by a deputy sheriff. The two-door blue Chevrolet was bloodstained and riddled with bullet holes, though no bodies were near. Traveler's checks made out to Carl Moser were in the car. That launched a hunt for the bodies. When the news broke, Archer's kidnapping and the elderly attendant's identification led to an all-points bulletin on Billy. Wanted posters were printed in the U.S. and Mexico. Billy goes back to Blythe by bus and hitched rides. Um, in Blythe, Deputy Homer Waldrop thought to check out an acquaintance of Billy's at the man's room in a motor court. Instead, it was Billy who opened the door, gun in hand. So he made the deputy drive out into the desert as he talked about the killing. So he confessed to this deputy. He tied him up and left him in a ditch instead of killing him. And it was because he knew his wife. She was a former co-worker at a diner, and she had treated Billy kindly. 
Using the police car, Billy pulled over another vehicle driven by salesman Robert Dewey. He shot Dewey, put the body in the police car, and drove off in Dewey's car. So from here, he heads to Mexico. And while he's driving through Baja, California, he meets two prospectors or campers or hunters. You may pick a descriptive because there's several, whichever one you like there. When his <laughs> car breaks down. So they offered him, I have pictures of them though, that will be on the, the website. They do have pictures of the prospectors slash campers slash hunters. Okay. They offer him a ride and he took them as hostage, hostages, of course. Um, this story, if nothing else, just reminds you not to take um, hitchhikers because bad, they're bad. He told them the stories of the killings. Um, they didn't try to overpower him when he rested because his one eye never closed completely and they didn't know if he was really sleeping. On January 15th, the Mexican police were notified that the two men were missing and Billy had been spotted. The Tijuana chief of police, uh, Francisco Morales, and Santa Rosalia police chief, Pera Rodriguez, caught up with the three seated in a cafe. Billy was captured without a struggle. It was almost the same time as Joplin firefighters searching for the, uh, searching the Lee mine found the Moser's bodies. Though there was no extradition treaty with Mexico, Mexican authorities viewed Billy as an undesirable. He was forced to cross the border where U.S. authorities arrested him. He was returned to Oklahoma where the Justice Department decided to try him under the Lindenburg uh, kidnapping law, and that carried a death pen penalty um, if it was decided by a jury. The folks at murphysburg.org do a great job of describing the next chapter of Billy Cook's life, so I'm going to let them do that. Um, this is straight from their website. Once back in the U.S., uh, many psychiatrists clustered in Oklahoma City to do a job of hand, head candling on Missouri's droop-eyed killer, Billy Cook. But their numbers only seem to cloud the issue at hand. Whether Billy, who killed six people in cold blood on a transcontinental murder spree, was sane enough to stand trial for his crimes. Three said he was, four said he was not. Confronted with such guidance, federal judge Stephen Chandler decided the next day that Cook was sane enough to plead guilty, but not sane enough to be given the death sentence. He sentenced the killer to serve five consecutive 60-year terms in Alcatraz. That's a wow. total of 300 years. Wow. In but, Alcatraz. Yeah. So there were people that thought that 300 years was too good for Billy. Remember, he killed children and animals. Right. Right there. Right. right. The prosecutor bade for a death penalty, left the court room snapping. That's the goddamnest travesty of justice. The Justice Department, apparently dissatisfied with Judge Chandler's decision, also agreed to surrender the killer to the Imperial County um, Court in California, where officials felt certain they could send him to the gas chamber for the killing of Dewey, um, the vacationing salesman. The U.S. Department uh, of Justice, hours after the verdict, announced it would honor a request by California to try Cook in Imperial County. Prosecutors there maintained they had a dead bang case for the murder of Dewey, and they did. In November 1951, a jury took 50 minutes to find Cook guilty. Cook, a smirk on his lips, got the death sentence. 
I hate everybody's guts, he said, and everybody hates mine. Billy Cook gave them a hell of a way all the way to the end, refusing to speak with clergymen or the hordes of eager reporters hoping to get a last minute exclusive with the condemned killer. His last meal was fried chicken, french fries, peas, and pumpkin pie on December 11th. The next morning, December 12th, 1952, Cook walked past onlookers and was strapped to the chair in San Quentin's gas chamber. Cook eagerly inhaled the cyanide fumes and paid the penalty for murder. Harley Teets, the warden of San Quentin, said he was the most alone man I have ever encountered. His estranged father told an interviewer, you never know where they will end up. However, the twisted tale of Billy Cook was not over. A Comanche, Oklahoma undertaker named Glenn Boydston was given permission by William Cook Sr. to claim Billy's body, which Boydston displayed in his funeral home. It is said that at least 15,000 people, including children, filed past the coffin for one last look at the killer. The Cook family was aghast at the cashing in on Billy's death and ordered his body to be returned to Joplin. Bad man Bill Cook is buried at night in Peace Cemetery, read the headline of a 1952 Joplin Globe story by reporter Gerald Wallace. The graveside service under the cover of darkness was officiated by Reverend Dow Boo of nearby Galena, and it lasted 10 minutes. And that is the super awful and sad story of William Cockeyed Cook. Yeah, I, it is yeah. sad. And I will I also mean, say um, there was a, I was gonna, I didn't put that in there, but there was a movie made like almost immediately. Um, let me get to that. Hold on, sorry, let me get to that story. That, um, there was a movie made about his life almost immediately. It was like less than a year after he was put to death. A movie based on his life and crime, crime spree was um, directed by Ida Lupino, and it was called The Hitchhiker. Oh, so and it was huh. a it was a film noir. So, well, you, you know, sad. It is sad. I mean, yes, he was horrible, but you know, something's yeah. got to produce you all that. You just wonder, and like I said, I know people that had horrible upbringings, mm-hmm. and they are not serial murders right well yeah so so a couple of podcasts i listened to um we're talking about what makes a psychopath and a sociopath i guess it's a sociopath that doesn't they have no empathy like Mm -hmm. you know so i guess that brain chemistry stuff but boy when you combine that with a bad childhood upbringing yeah 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 so and i knew nothing i'm I didn't know anything about him and it says something about um in one of the articles that it was such a horrible thing at the time and it kind of just got now it's not something you hear about other you know Ma Barker and Bonnie and Clyde and all that but I mean that was Mm -hmm. awful what he did was awful and I knew nothing about him um until what last week two weeks ago when we were looking through topics yeah, so and I think, I think Deidre, that's strange. Deidre was the one that put him down, I think, originally, but yeah. Well, it's not like Joplin would have a 
parade in his honor or anything. I don't know. Forsyth had an Alf Bolin parade. I know. I, that's just what I was thinking of, even though Forsyth had an Alf Bolin parade. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well that was good um, and interesting and who knew? Yeah. I yeah. did. I did not. Me neither. Sure. I didn't know anything. Well, thanks, Dina. That was uh, interesting. And thank you all for listening. We really appreciate that. Um, yeah. We want you to listen. You can go one step further by subscribing or leaving us stars. You can go even more steps further in becoming a patron of ours on our Patreon. Um, you can find ways to do that. We have social media sites. We have a website. Um, ozarkshainsandhooch.weebly.com we release on the 1st and the 15th of each month so we'll say goodbye goodbye and remember if you liked it tell all your friends but if you didn't keep your big mouth shut, mouth shut.